Right, Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 10 on page 1675. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the great secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, they say the best things in life are free. Is that right? The river walk, mountain walks, body surfing, all free. Laughing with friends, dad jokes, not laughing at dad jokes, all free. The best things in life are free. Here's the question. Is the gospel one of those free things? Is the gospel free? Uh, well, in our t fifth talk on our Making Christ Known series, um, I want to suggest to you from the example of the Philippian church uh, this. The gospel is gloriously free, but making Christ known together is costly. Right? The, the gospel is gloriously free, but making Christ known together is costly. Uh, I want to start with uh, uh, the gospel being free. Firstly, the gospel is free. It's, it's God's free gift to a needy world. Uh, as Jesus said, he sent out his disciples in Matthew 10, 8. He says to them, freely as you have received, freely give. Uh, and that's Paul's approach as he goes from town to town, freely offering this gospel news, this good news of Jesus. Uh, and, and we know from Acts 16 that this is exactly what happened in the town of Philippi. Uh, so Jeanette just read from the letter of Philippians, uh, but you actually see the genesis of their story in, in, in Acts 16. We won't go there, but just let me to tell you the story of, of uh, what happened as the gospel rolled into town. Um, two people uh, were changed, in particular, 
by this free gospel as the gospel came into town. Uh, One was a wealthy cloth trader by the name of Lydia, uh, and the other was a jail warden. Uh, Both people of independent means, the gospel hit them when they weren't expecting it. Uh, They didn't line up in a shop and pay for it. It just, the gospel came to them for free. Now, Lydia was minding her own business, literally, uh, and uh, you can imagine the scene, uh, Acts 16, a successful merchant sitting by a river in Philippi, engrossed in her work, surrounded by uh, her fabrics and goods. The Apostle Paul and his friends rock up uh, and start a conversation. They're looking for a place to pray on the Sabbath. A conversation starts between Lydia and Paul and uh, those that he's proclaiming the gospel with. Uh, Paul, Silas, their companions, turn to Lydia, presumably share stories of faith and teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, What they say is not recorded, uh, perhaps telling her that they proclaim Jesus, a a man who brings hope, love and salvation to all who believe. Whatever they said, this is what we hear of her response. Uh, Acts 16.14 says that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. In that moment by the riverside, Lydia's life was changed forever. Her heart was open towards God. And you know, her her heart was also open towards those who proclaimed this message. Uh, Her plans changed. Suddenly, she was offering to take these guys in and uh, to help them on their way. Uh, And so it's interesting, in this, this town of Philippi, she is the first person that's changed by the gospel. That's Lydia. And and it's almost as if a camera pans from this beautiful spot by the river to the ugliest spot in Philippi. Uh, The camera moves to uh, what uh, must have been a dark, foul-smelling, bug-investing prison of Philippi. And that's where we meet the second person who's uh, changed by the gospel. Uh, Overseeing this pit of despair was a prison warden who the Bible doesn't name. Let's call him Big Stan. Right? That sounds like a Macedonian prison warden, doesn't it? I think of a guy that looks a bit like Dave. You know, big Dave up there, right? Big Stan. Yeah, he wasn't listening. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) we'll stay with us, Dave. Um, So, normal prisoners will do anything to get out of jail, right? Paul was not your normal prisoner. Uh, For a start, he was awake at midnight singing, right? Not whinging, but singing hymns of joy even after having been flogged that day and abused in the marketplace, uh, he was in good voice. Uh, Now, I don't know whether it was because his singing was good or bad, but there was an earthquake that broke out, right? Uh, And their chains broke and the gates opened and they were free to go. Um, But their potential liberty was at the cost of Big Stan, Big Dave. Um, uh, uh, And he actually literally considered falling on his sword about that worried about uh, what his overlords would do to him, having let these prisoners go. But the uh, the hymn singer's voice came out to Big Stan in the dark, reassuring him that all the prisoners stayed in place. Overwhelmed by this miraculous situation, Big Stan sought guidance from Paul and Silas, who shared the gospel with him, a message of redemption and salvation for him and his family. Uh, Stan trembled and asked, What must I do to be saved? Paul responded with this profound truth, Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. As dawn uh, broke, as chaos subsided, the jailer and his household listened intently and their hearts were open to the message of the gospel. 
In that moment, in the confines of a prison, liberty was found for Big Stan and his family. The jailer found new freedom in Christ. Don't you think the gospel is amazing? You can't write a script for this stuff. This is just incredible. Uh, Catching Lydia and Big Stan at the most unexpected of moments, bringing transformation into their lives and into the lives of their family. They didn't ask for this. They didn't line up for this. They, They didn't pay for this. The gospel just came to them in a glorious way, in a free way, and transformed them. Lydia and Big Stan's chains fell off. Their hearts were free. They rose, went forth, and followed thee. Uh, the story of Lydia and Stan is the story uh, the, of the church that's gathered in Philippi from the letter that uh, Jeanette read for us. Um, if they, I don't know whether they chose to stay in Philippi, but if they chose to stay in Philippi, they would have regularly gathered with other saints singing praying, sharing the apostles' teaching together. This gospel, the gospel gives birth to the church. Uh, The apostles who made Christ known there move on. They move on to Greece, to Thessalonica. Uh, But the church in Philippi remains. However, the church remained in partnership with the apostle Paul. Uh, They remained in fellowship with him uh, as he went off to continue this gospel journey. Uh, And that's what you hear the Apostle Paul saying at the very beginning of this letter that Jeanette read. Philippians 1.4 says this. uh, Paul is saying this about the Philippians. "I I thank my God every time I remember you. In my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, So partnership, the word partnership there, same word as fellowship. Fellowship in the biblical sense isn't a cup of tea, uh, but it's actually the original idea is like a commercial partnership, Um, like accountants and lawyers have partnerships, like Harrick's Bolus and Sons. Wouldn't that be fun? Um, uh, It it involves, uh, partnerships involves transactions and agreements and contracts and uh, that's what a fellowship is. That's what a partnership is. It's that kind of idea. Uh, It's a unity in something. And we saw that in uh, Philippians 1.4, isn't it? What's the unity in? It's in the gospel. That's the kind of nature of this partnership. It's in the gospel. So Big Stan and Lydia are in partnership with the apostle. Uh, And that sounds entirely appropriate. Now, as you would expect, as with any partnership, uh, uh, there are costs to the partnership. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. And in Philippians, there are three particular costs that we notice of this partnership in making Christ known. Uh, their partnership in making Christ known was costly in suffering. Uh, secondly, their partnership in making Christ known was relationally costly. And thirdly, their partnership in making Christ known was financially costly. I'm going to spend the rest of the time just going through each of those three costs. Let me go through one by one. Remember, remember that the gospel is free, but making Christ known is costly. The first cost uh, is, is suffering. Uh, uh, have a look with me in Philippians uh, 1 verse 29. Uh, 1 verse 29. If you're, if you're in chapter 4, just pop back to 129. And you hear of the suffering of both Paul and the Philippians. 
129, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Now this speaks into the crossing the pain line that we talked about last week. We see the Apostle Paul is crossing the pain line as he makes Christ known further afield. But also those who stay behind in Philippi are crossing the pain line as they continue to gather around the gospel. Uh, And it seems that uh, they're going through the same suffering that we saw the Paul go through in Philippi before them. And uh, I spoke about that last week, so so let me me move on uh, to the second. So that's the first costly aspect of their making Christ known together. It's the cost of suffering. Now, the second cost is the, uh, uh, the relational cost. Making Christ known comes with a relational cost. Um, so the Philippians and Paul shared the resources of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Uh, Paul was in jail again. I wonder if he was still singing. Uh, uh, and Timothy used to go between him and the churches that Paul had planted uh, to ensure that they were remaining in Jesus. Um, and this was costly. This was a costly exercise. Uh, now, Epaphroditus was another person in a similar situation, uh, going between Paul and the church, uh, with the difference being it seemed that Epaphroditus came from the Philippian church and went to Paul. Uh, and you just hear of the costliness of this kind of relational element uh, in chapter 2, verse 25. Uh, look at it with me. Uh, chapter 2, verse 25, Paul writes, But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, uh, not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. You can just hear the deep relational pain here, can't you? The compassion. Epaphroditus was sent to Paul uh, because the Philippians cared about Paul. But then Epaphroditus almost died when he was with Paul. And Paul was worried for the Philippians, that they'd be heartbroken. Epaphroditus, um, uh, the guy that they loved and sent to him, uh, died on the mission that they sent him on. And so Paul wanted to share them this pain. You can hear just of the relational cost of this making Christ known exercise, can't you? Uh, It's not easy in terms of people's time and energy. This partnership is not cheap. Imagine uh, we wanted to send someone over to Adam and Avril in Madagascar. You know, we hear things are going difficultly difficultly for them and we, we just want to give them some resources and some encouragement uh, we want to send them some, with some wheat bix and some educational resources for Caleb and some fancy tea because Adam likes his fancy tea. Um, uh, and we just wanted to send them a physical uh, reminder that we care for them and that we're with them. Um, who would we pick? Who would you send? Okay, you want to be sent? Oh, it's funny. The, the staff were talking about this and we decided we'd send Justin. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, can you imagine, right? So we all agree, yep, Justin's the guy we're going to send, okay? Um, uh, and, and, and Justin gets there uh, and he picks up malaria, right? Which is 
quite likely. And he also picks up a foot fungus too. And so he's very sick and he can't move. Uh, now, that would stress us back here, wouldn't it? Because we sent him. We, we agreed to send him. And, and uh, Justin's in strife. Um, uh, and, and you can just see how enmeshed this relational kind of cost becomes as you're together in the gospel in this. Uh, to keep this partnership alive, it costs relational resources, time, energy. It's burdensome. It's important, but it's burdensome relationally. That's funny, in addition to this cost of keeping the fellowship alive externally, um, the fellowship has got to be kept alive internally within the church. Um, and it seems that that's one of the main reasons that the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Philippians because he's worried that they're going to, it's going to fracture as, as a church. Um, of course, in every Christian gathering, there's joy but there's also a relational cost to our gatherings. For example, can you imagine a church with Big Stan and Lydia? I, I, I don't know them, but I imagine they're very, very different, aren't they? Um, Lydia uh, spends her life amongst well-dressed cloth makers. Um, Stan spends his life amongst poorly dressed lawbreakers. You know, they'd have very different life experiences as they met uh, on the Sabbath, on Sunday, the, the Lord's Day together, wouldn't they? They come from very different worlds. No doubt it wasn't always relationally easy. Uh, in fact, Paul writes this letter to them that they might stand together joyfully, unified in this time of suffering that they're experiencing. In chapter 3, uh, Paul is literally pleading with two women uh, to come to one mind, to be united in Christ. And you can imagine that in any situation like that, there's a backstory of hurt. He calls these people back to Christian unity, uh, remembering that making Christ known is both an activity but also a lifestyle of response that's lived out in the life of the church. Uh, so in any church on mission together, making Christ known, there will be relational tension. That's just part of who we are. And it affects the mission and Paul says it brings him joy. In fact, in 2.2, he says, make my joy complete. How? By being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and mind. So even our internal fellowship actually impacts our external fellowship with our gospel partners. Um, Paul's joy is made complete by those who sent him being one in spirit. Someone described to me this week uh, that church is like echidnas in a box. I thought that was good. The closer we get, the more likely we are to hurt each other. You know, like I mean, there's something true in that, isn't there? Um, uh, that's why there's this constant call in, in, in the New Testament to keep standing firm, to keep, um, uh, keep putting others first as Jesus did. Uh, not, <clears throat> so, so there's not only a relational cost uh, in our partnership with Gospel Partners, in Philippians' partnership with the Apostle Paul, there's also a relational cost for the Philippians in just gathering together and continuing to make Christ known together. So, friends, that's the second cost of making Christ known together, the relational cost. Uh, and the third cost of making Christ known together is the financial cost. Uh, it's financially costly. It shouldn't be a surprise that 
in a you know a, a, a partnership, a, a lawyers or accountants or that kind of partnership that there's going to be costs, right? Um, and that's the case with our partnership too. When Paul thanks God for their partnership in uh, one. Uh, verse 4, I wonder whether in part he's speaking about their long-term financial support of him. We see that in um, Philippians 4 that uh, Jeanette read for us, 4.15. Um, uh, Philippians 4.15, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So these guys in Philippi, perhaps even Lydia and Big Stan, uh, have been strong supporters of uh, Paul's effort to make Christ known in Thessalonica and elsewhere. It's funny, the other week when we heard from one Thessalonians, we heard of their, that their model that had been uh, uh, being talked about in the area. Uh, that they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Remember that? Um, the Philippians were involved in that. Uh, they supported the Apostle Paul to go to Thessalonica in the first place. And this church of the Thessalonians had turned from idols to, uh, uh, to the living and true God. I wonder whether Big Stan had a, had a spring in his step as he heard that news about Thessalonica that people had turned from idols uh, to, to serve the living and true God. Just like we have a bit of a spring in our step when we hear from gospel partners, maybe in Nishinomiya or Cobham or Western Sydney University, if someone's uh, come to know Jesus, that gives us a bit of a spring in their, uh, our step, just like it, I'm sure it did to them. Um, I love that our church give 10% of what comes in to our gospel partners. Um, I lie. It's a lot of money every quarter. The treasurer reminds me every quarter. He says, "This ten thousand dollars, Tom. You know, like that's a lot of money every quarter, isn't it?" Um, but I love that in doing that, we're enabling people to make Christ known in places where we just physically can't be. It's good, isn't it? I love being part of a church uh, that does that. But interestingly for Paul, it's actually not about the money. Do you notice that? He's one of the most reluctant receivers that I've ever met, surely. Like, imagine yourself getting the Apostle Paul and a Chris Kringle. You look down at your sheet and you think, oh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, because you, you hear what he says about, about stuff. He says, whether I have everything or nothing, I'm content. You think, how do you buy for a guy like that, right? Um, he says, don't worry about me, I'll be fine. But he does worry about something. Have a look at 4.17. Uh, not that I desire your gifts, he says. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Paul doesn't value material uh, comforts in the world. He's preparing for the next. What he cares most about here is God's opinion of the Philippians. He wants credit. Uh, he wants God to give credit where credit he believes is due uh, to these Philippians. Um, the time of accounting in Paul's mind isn't as Lydia balances her books by the river. The time of accounting that is in Paul's mind is when Lydia stands before Jesus in judgment for the good things that she's done as well as the bad. That's the time of accounting in the apostle's mind. 
Uh, he goes on, verse 18, I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied uh, now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So you see what he cares about, don't you? He cares what God thinks about these gifts. He sees the Philippians' support as like sacrifices in the Old Testament. You know where you go and get your biggest and best bull and sacrifice that uh, with this nice-smelling barbecue smell? Like that's, that's what he wants. Uh, that, that's what he sees these gifts as. They're, they're something that please God like that aroma. It's not about the money. It's not about the amount. It's about the heartfelt gift that God acknowledges. That's what he cares about. Uh, there is a cost. There is a cost to making Christ known uh, with our financial partners. There, there is a cost to all we do here in Penrith. And so it's right to not pretend that money is something, you know, we don't talk about something secret. Uh, it's actually just part of what we do. Uh, it's part of our partnership. It's part of our fellowship, just as it was part of theirs. But as we make financial commitments, uh, as we fill out pledges next week, I, I would love you to take on something of Paul's attitude, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Uh, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. See, Paul, it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. Uh, he wants God to allocate credit where credit is due from the heartfelt gifts of God's people. Uh, we, want, we desperately want the gospel to be free, don't we? And we recognize that making Christ known then has a financial cost. When we're thinking well, we're prompted by the grace that we've experienced in Jesus. Um, giving is not a religious burden for us, but it's just an outworking of the love of God in our lives. That's what God gladly receives. So, friends, let me wrap up. We've seen that making Christ known together is costly. We saw it in the shared suffering, uh, crossing the pain line together, we saw it in the relational cost. Think of uh, Epaphroditus. Think of poor Justin in Madagascar. Um, there's that relational cost. And there's that financial cost. But of course, we started our time by seeing the good news of Jesus barrel in to Philippi. Those very different people that were changed by the gospel. Lydia and the bloke I called Big Stan. Both of them were, were transformed by the gospel, not because they asked for it, not because they lined up for it, not because they paid for it. It just came to them by the kindness of God. The gospel is gloriously free. And we need to recognize and, and that and recognize the cost of bearing that gospel uh, together, the suffering, the relational hurt, the financial sacrifice to willingly and lovingly go into this with our eyes open, thanking God for allowing us to partner with him in what he's doing around us. So, friends, let me close in prayer. Uh, dear Father in heaven, we do recognise that as the church, we are co-workers in your service. 
Uh, we are the building you are constructing. We are the field that you are tending. And yet we also recognise that we're enabled by you to partner with you in the work of making Christ known. Uh, Father, by your spirit, make us willing to bear the burden of making Christ known together. Help us to cross the pain line together. Help us to work at unity together. Help us to make sacrifices together for you and for the sake of your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.